Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast, hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Oh my gosh, today is such a treat. I'm interviewing Ben Hanna, who owns Heirloom Roses, which is this stunning rose company with all own root roses. They have thousands of varieties on their farm, about eight or 900 available to us. But Ben is just absolute salt of the earth and has a ton of wisdom and advice around growing roses. We got to dig into just best practices and tips on roses because I think people feel intimidated by them, but he's debunked roses as being high maintenance and really giving us some insight into how they're grown, how to keep them happy at your home, but also just some nuance behind the rose industry in general. This is such a beautiful conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm telling you right now, I am ordering new roses for the house because there's just something so special, Ben agrees, about the history of the roses. And some of them date back to the 1800s. It's just so cool. You guys are absolutely going to love this conversation. Hello, Ben. How are you today? Good morning. Uh, Very good. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you being here. And this is a hot topic today because it's perfect timing for roses. You know, we're right in the middle of the summer and enjoying some great blooms. And it's, it's, a, it's a great time for, for growing roses and cutting roses and bringing them into your house. And it's, it's all good. Oh, I'm so excited about it. So um, before we dive into all that juiciness, I would love to have you introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah. So uh, my name is Ben Hanna. Uh, my wife and I are the owners of Heirloom Roses in St. Paul, Oregon. We're a rose nursery. All we grow is roses. Ship them all over the United States. Actually, I, we ship anywhere with a U.S. zip code. So we ship them to Guam and Puerto Rico and all these cool places. And we grow. Uh, we only grow roses on their own roots. So they're, they're not grafted. They're uh, grown in a container from cuttings. So the top of the plant is the same as the bottom of the plant. And we think they're very healthy that way. Mm, awesome. Yeah, I was really impressed when I started learning about you guys. I've actually been following you guys on Instagram for a while, and um, I get the catalog, which is so beautiful. So um, I think that the average consumer maybe doesn't even know much about the industry uh, when it comes to this whole own root concept and why that's important. Yeah, roses have always been grown on their own roots, but traditionally in the United States, they've been grown on grafted rootstock. And that's just been the method of growing them. Uh, they're, they're, it's, you can do field production that way. And, and the thought is you, that the, the roots are aggressive growing and you get really good growth for the top. What we found over the years is that a, an own root rose will outperform a grafted rose, maybe not the first year, but after year three, a, an own root rose is really going to be a very substantial and hardy plant. And there's a couple benefits to that. Um, when you graft a rose, the rootstock is always going to be fighting with the top of the plant. So the, the top of the plant is the variety that you ordered and the bottom is like a, a, 
a Dr. Huey or some sort of rootstock that is designed to grow as roots. And they don't, they don't, they don't play nicely together over time. So you're always going to have suckering and things that come up mm -hmm. and it's not the rose you want. And then that graft union is also inherently uh, weak. And so it's susceptible to freeze damage, uh, pest damage, and, uh, and, and that like. And so uh, we just think you get a better overall plant that way. I love this. This is so interesting because um, a lot of citrus is grafted. And when I moved into the home I'm in, we had this beautiful um, little like petite orange tree. Um, and it was so cute and you could tell it was well-established. But then after two years of being here, it was all of a sudden like a lime tree. And we were like, what is going on? And we realized that it had been grafted sort of poorly or the plant had gotten stressed and uh, it was reverting back to its rootstock or it was just had become so weak that it was really sour and bitter, but it was just really a bizarre situation. So that's when I first sort of realized this sort of the nature of grafting and how it's not always the best long-term path. Yeah. It's always best if you can get, you know, get simple. And if, if you, if you don't have a graft, your plant is, if it has a problem and it, it needs to regenerate from the roots, it comes back as, as what you ordered and what you thought you had, not something different. Another issue with grafting is a lot of the rootstock in the United States has been infected with a rose mosaic virus. Mm. Um, and so we, as growing on our own roots, we're very careful about what we, what we have in the nursery. We don't have any virus. We are virus free. And so you don't, not going to have uh, disease problems that are going to come up later on in growing with, with a, a, a mosaic virus that is kind of in, in involved in the roots and then it overtakes the rest of the plant. So you, you're, you're sure that you won't have a problem with that later on. So how would you know if you had the rose mosaic virus? Sure. It, it kind of crops its head in the early spring and the right weather conditions, and you'll get kind of a, a yellowy kind of blotchy pattern on the leaves. And it looks just odd. It doesn't look like a like a sick leaf. It looks like a blotchy kind of miscolored leaf, and it can overtake a lot of the plant. A lot of places where it's very hot, it doesn't show up as much. But for most places, when you have a nice spring day uh, in the growing season, it will show up. And it's once you have it in a plant, you can't get rid of it. Okay, that's so interesting. I have all. I'm like I'm gonna spare you, but. Something's going on with my roses. I have just a, a bunch of like spray roses, iceberg white roses in the front yard that came with our house. And they don't look 100% healthy, but since they're not my vegetable garden, which I spend most of my attention on, they're sort of like second fiddle. So we're just going to pretend like everything's fine with them. Um, okay. So I want to ask you, because I'm so curious, how did you come to owned by heirloom roses? Like what took you on that path uh, and brought you into this rose farming life? Yeah. So my wife and I have owned the business for 10 years. And at the time we, we went through kind of a career change. I had been uh, an executive in the electronics industry overseeing manufacturing. And I traveled a lot. We have five kids. We are homeschooling and I was gone a lot. And so we were looking for a career change and also a lifestyle change at the time. And so we went to church with the brother of the former owner of Heirloom Roses, Louise Clements was her name. And the, he, he asked me for some advice on sell, helping sell her business. And uh, 
we met and talked and I said, well, my advice is I think I should buy it. So, so, uh, we, we worked out something that was really good for both of us. Louise, you know, as, as, uh, needed to retire and it worked really well. So that was 10 years ago. And, uh, it's been kind of a wild ride since then. We've, the company's grown a lot and changed a lot. And Louise is still, is still, uh, doesn't active in the business, but comes out and, and sees us frequently and, um, likes what we've done. So it's just been a good, good, uh, thing for both of us. Okay. So what was it about the opportunity that struck you? Was it like, was there a moment where you just had this epiphany, like, we've been thinking about making a change. This, this is the sign or like, tell me more about that because I yeah. love this. I mean, we were, we were, we, we, my wife and I love to garden. Um, I've been around agriculture most of my life, uh, professionally and just personally growing up on farms and, and when working that way. So it was, uh, it was a comfortable fit for me. It was also a size of business and I saw a lot of potential. Mm. Um, I just think that they had a lot of potential and, room to really tell the story about roses. And it was just, a, it was just, it felt right. You know, sometimes you, you mm-hmm. do a lot of an- analysis and things and sometimes you just go, well, this just feels right. And it just felt right. I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of, you said you love gardening. Um, tell me, I would love to hear more about that as well. Did you grow up gardening or what was it like in your family growing up? Was that something you guys always did or did you kind of take to it as you got older? My parents are older. And they, they were born during the depression and they gardened a lot and it was just a generational thing. And so I grew up around that. I grew up, you know, my, 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 I'm the youngest of five boys. And so I helped my mom a lot. And, uh, you know, we grew up working in the garden, canning, you know, doing all kinds of different things. We raised cows. Um, so I, it's just been something that I enjoyed doing. I didn't ever feel like, oh, I hate this. I mean, there may have been days I didn't like it, but for the most part, it was something I really liked doing. I liked being outside. And so um, I, my wife and I have always gardened. We've always kind of like, and we've owned, we haven't owned a lot of houses, but the houses we've had have always started with a nice yard and ended up with a big garden. We've, <laughs> we've kind of grown and, and put in everything we could. And we, currently now we, we, our home has a, has a lot of gardening space on it and a lot, of course, a lot of roses. And it's just, it's what we do. It's what we enjoy doing. A, a perfect day for us is working outside and ending the day totally dirty and uh, having really tired, but having done a lot of yard work in, in the garden and it feels great. I love that. Do you find yourself now that you own a rose farm, essentially, um, having time to still do other gardening or usually kind of burned out being like a rose farmer by the end of the day? Yeah, it's gone. It's gone in, in cycles. You know, the nursery business is incredibly busy in the spring. And so we have gone through seasons where we've said, okay, we can't actually plant a garden at home. We're going to be way too busy. Uh, as the company has grown and we've, we've added team members and get into a little more healthy spot, we're, we can do more of that. But we've always had our own greenhouse and uh, at home. And it's a great place to be. So we've always gardened and, and that's just been our go-to. Uh, the season of life though changes and you kind of take it, take it year by year. Talk to me about your kids. You have five children, which is so incredible. Are they actively involved in the business or are they kind of doing their own thing? They have all been actively involved in the business. Our youngest is 16 and our oldest is 20, will be 24 tomorrow. Oh, wow. And uh, so they grew up working in the business, all different aspects of it. It's been, 
certainly when we were a smaller company, it was all hands on deck. You know, we all worked and did things in it. And as they got older, they worked different places. So they're not actively, my youngest son works in the business now. The rest are out of college and working on careers and we're starting, starting uh, college here soon. So it's, it's just, it's been a, seasons of life mm-hmm. for us uh, when they've worked, but they've all, they all know just about everything in the business. They've done every part of it and have really earned the respect of our employees and are definitely part of the team when they show up and are around. That's so cool. Did they, yeah. you mentioned homeschooling. Did you guys homeschool them all the way up through high school? We homeschooled to high school. And then we felt like they, that we, we, it was just a personal decision of ours that they went to public high school and, uh, and then, and also at the same time were involved in sports and working and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It's homeschool is one of those things that's always in the back of my mind. It's not, it wasn't my own experience, so it feels foreign, but it sounds idyllic to me, this beautiful family business doing something um, with your hands outside, you've got your kids and you really get to help them understand how to pave your own way and do something fulfilling um, and also make that, you know, your life's work, your income, having it all sort of meld together maybe to some sounds totally disastrous and stressful, but to other, I think it sounds like a really beautiful way of doing life. Yeah. You know, on a daily basis, it can can be chaotic and crazy and you're going, what am I doing? (laughs) But as you step back and you look at the months and the years, you go, oh, this is nice. Mm -hmm. So it's like anything, right? It's like you can, there's, there's good parts of things and bad parts of things and they kind of meld together. But overall, I think, we're pretty happy about what we've done and what we're doing and uh, the life choices we've made to, to intentionally educate our children that way mm-hmm. and all work together. I love that. That being said, there's, you know, we take it year by, we, we always took it year by year with our, with our kids and uh, with the business. Uh, yeah. Kind of, you kind of take it as it comes. I love that. So what does it take to run? To, I'd love to hear more about the operation in terms of, growing the roses, getting them started. How much land does this take and, and employees? And like, what does it look like? I'm really fascinated by the business of it. If someone was like, oh, like I want to have a rose farm. Like, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, we've been at it. Louise Clements and her husband were at it a long time before us. Okay. And so we, we stepped in and had some longtime key employees that were there cool. that are still there today. And they, that was very beneficial to us as new owners, that there was a lot of deep knowledge that came with the farm. Um, the, also, the operation has grown significantly over the years as more and more people know about roses and we tell the story and more people want to grow them. So it's fundamentally looks different. We've added a lot of greenhouses, a lot of team members. But overall, um, you know, it's simple. We Everything happens in the spring. We take uh, we take cuttings, we root cuttings, we transplant cuttings, and we sell cuttings. All in a all in a all in everything happens in the spring, through the summer as well. But it's very busy in the spring, and uh, it's just uh, kind of working through those rhythms of of the season. You know, uh, we grow everything from, from like I said, cuttings. So we take cuttings and we root them, and that's in our propagation area. And then those cuttings grow into plants, uh, get roots, get established, and we transplant them into the container. They'll be sold in. How fast does that happen, that process? 
Yeah, we tell we tell people it's on average 16 months, could be a little longer, could be mm. a little shorter, depends on the weather and the time of year that we actually take the cutting and things. So, but on average, it's about 16 months. Okay. And so those roses should, they'll, they'll, they'll go through a complete cycle of, you know, dormancy and actually shutting down and going dormant. We think that's good for the consumer. We know you're going to get a plant that has actually um, been through a complete cycle. You know, it's going to do really well that, that way. And it's going to be better able to climatize in your own garden, depending where you're at. Um, one thing about unique about Oregon is we have four very distinct seasons while it's a lot of people think, oh, it's rainy in Oregon. And that's true of the wintertime. It also gets very cold here. And then in the summertime, like to, like right now, it's very dry. Mm. We're irrigating every day. Next week, it's going to be in the hundreds. So your roses have really been stress tested, actually, by growing at our nursery. Mm. They've been through all of the different process. All, all, you know, they, people say, well, it's really hot. Well, your roses were really hot last week in our greenhouses. Mm. And uh, they're they're ready for it. So. How, so how much, what proportion of the roses is everything done in a greenhouse or is some stuff just like outside? You know, I say, when I say, when I say greenhouse, um, we, we, it does rain a lot. We, we, we don't have fancy high end greenhouses. We try to keep the roses dry and out of the rain. Mm. That's primarily what we do. And we have a few houses with heat on and we use that heat for acclimating uh, small plants and, and maybe extending the growing season a little bit. For the most part though, uh, they're cold frames. Okay. And that works fine for us. Oh, very we're very fortunate. We have uh, we have uh, irrigation water off the Willamette River here, oh. and so we have a very plentiful supply of water uh, year round. Yeah, from I'm from Southern California, so I'm like, what's that like? That sounds fabulous. Yeah, like fresh yes, water. Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what are you guys from an operation perspective? I believe the figures you have 900 varieties of roses. Um, and then I guess how, how much land does it take to cultivate all of these? We have about 35 acres. Okay. And so we do a lot, we do a lot in a small space and we're just, we've gotten very efficient at things and processes and procedures to make sure we can, we can manage everything. We have about 4,000 varieties of roses on our nursery. So we don't, we, 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 we don't ever get rid of a rose. We have a, we have a stock field, which is our mother plants that we are planted in the ground. Wow. And we, so we don't grow all of those. Some of those are off patent or we're not licensed to grow anymore, but we always hold on to them. So we have a very big bank of genetics that we can work with. And uh, Okay. Hold yeah. on a second. This is something I just know such a small amount about. Talk to me. I would love to hear more about this whole licensing and patenting and the ability to sell or grow a certain types of roses that it, that nuance is so interesting. Yeah. So to, to get a new variety of a rose, there's no genetics modification done. It's just crossing, right? Mm. You're taking one plant and crossing it with another. And then the rose produces seeds in the hips. And then they, they, they plant those out. And you go through and you look, it's trial and error. You go through and you look for genetics that would make a good rose. And then the, the hybridizer is the one doing this. And then it... The bigger companies and some of the smaller hybridizers will plant out about 300,000 seedlings to get one really good rose that will make make it to market. Whoa. And so they put a tremendous amount of work and effort and time into this. Uh, the good growers put a, do, a lot of, do a lot of trials in different parts of the United States. And so 
when you get a new variety of plant that's coming to market, there's been a lot of work put into it. And so to be fair with those hybridizers and to make it worth their while, we pay them a royalty. Mm. And so that royalty comes with, you know, and they'll patent their rows. And so we're happy to, we're happy to pay those royalties. They put a lot of work into it and they deserve to get, to reap some of the rewards from that. And so we work with a lot of different hybridizers and, and other rose growers that have unique varieties. That is so cool. So there's got to be some sort of like a rose agency that's tracking. Yeah, there's different, there's different people that help with that. Yeah. And uh, there's some nuances to that. It's kind of all over the place, really. It's it's a lot of relationship building. Um, a lot of this stuff comes from Europe. And we, 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 tr- we travel to Europe and know some of the growers there. And we try to know a lot of the growers here in the United States that are all breeding roses so that we we get the best and new roses for, for release. Wow, that's so cool. So I've definitely found that there is like a rose culture. So there are people that want that collect these like sort of designer roses. There is such a thing. And then there are people that just like to have unique varieties. There are people that just love specifically caring for roses and growing roses. And I think there are other sort of dabblers. I'm sort of a dabbler. I love to find roses that I have one. I have a David Austin rose called Teasing Georgia because my daughter's name is Georgia. And I planted it on her birthday one year. Like that is just the ultimate for me, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's inter- I'd be interested to hear what you've learned about sort of like the culture of roses. Well, there's so many types of roses and so many different varieties that there's a lot of space for someone to just be unique. You know, mm. they, can, they can adapt them to their gardening style. You know, if you've got a kind of an English garden and you want something that's, that's a little more uh, loose in its habit and kind of flowing, you look into some English roses. If you want some really nice cut flowers, you can look for some long stemmed floribundas or hybrid teas or glandifloras that, you know, suit your needs. And then there's some old garden roses. I have some old garden roses from the 1800s in our yard and we sell them online that just have a unique story that, you know, it's oh, just kind of like, oh, that's. That rose has been around for a long time. It's really kind of cool to have in my yard. So I love that. Um, it's something for everyone, really. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I have some specific yeah. questions. So on this, along the same vein, what are your favorite varieties? And then also, I'd love to know what the most popular varieties are. Yeah. Um, certainly, there's a lot of talk and, and there's a lot of English roses that are being sold right now. Um David Austin, um, other other companies that have English style roses are very popular right now. Earth Angel is a very popular rose right now. It's very fragrant, full of petals. Um, one of my favorites is uh, uh, Amazing Grace. It's just a big bloom and it's kind of a smoky pink color, and it's it's just pretty grand. I just really like it. It's it's one of my children's names, Grace, and so it for my yeah, like. I have, I have roses that remind me of all my kids or family members. I have Oklahoma. My dad grew up in Oklahoma, so I have an Oklahoma in my rose garden. and It just reminds me of him. Totally. You know? I think that's good to, to have a historical connection or a, an emotional connection to a plant like that. Um, yeah, it's fun. I totally it's good for you. It's good for the soul. I totally agree. I think it's so special. I had someone gift me a berry rose once. And I was like, that is so thoughtful. And she chose a variety that made her think of me. And I was just like, best gift I've ever received. Um, So I think that's a beautiful intention. Um, So the other thing, a question I have about roses uh, 
is if you have any tips for taking care of them properly, like what's the scoop on a brand new first timer, or I guess even people that are just maybe not, they're just, they're doing the thing, but like they need to know the scoop from you. Yeah. So, so we're sitting here and it's August and roses, either, if you haven't done anything with your roses, you might be going on. Oh, I've got some roses, but they look pretty bad. Mm. What do I do? All right. I tell people to don't be afraid, don't be afraid to prune a rose. Roses need to be pruned so that they can actively grow and regenerate. And so even in August, you can kind of tip some things back and take and, and cut things back. And they'll, within six weeks, you're probably going to see blooms. Mm. So okay. I say prune. Always best to prune in the early spring when it's still dormant and go through the cycle of pruning. But it's never too late to prune. And maybe you don't prune as hard right now, but go ahead and go ahead. And if you've got some ugliness on your plant, cut it out and, and, and start again. You're not going to hurt your plant. It's going to grow back. So it, um, and then also fertilizing, mm. um, you know, rose, it, it, we've all seen that rose that in someone's yard, that's got it's pretty ugly and a little beat up and hasn't been cared for, but it's got a one beautiful bloom. And that's because the sole purpose of a rose is to bloom and to be beautiful. Like they'll, they'll sacrifice everything to put out a beautiful bloom. And in order to do that, they need to have good fertilizer. So you got to feed them well. Um, I really like fish, liquid fish fertilizer. Um, I think that's a good way to go. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to over fertilize when you're using a liquid fertilizer on roses, especially in containers. Um, so that's a good place to start. Someone told me once um, that roses are like teenage boys. They're always hungry. Like you can't feed them enough and they just want to look good. <laughs> that's a great analogy. I have some teenage boys right now and I can see that that's totally true. It tracks. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And they grow and they grow tall. So, um, yeah. I love that. Okay. So the liquids. Yeah, so the, the, the things I would say, you know, for right now. And then also I think that, that, that selecting the right variety that's good for where you're at is important. Um, you know, if, if it's really cold, you need to watch your zones. Mm -hmm. If you're down in California, you kind of get to grow anything, right? Um, I guess, I guess maybe, maybe some, there's some roses that don't like it too hot and you can watch for that. What hardiness zone are you guys in? Like, is there a, a best place to grow roses? I mean, we're kind of in zone eight right here in Oregon and it's kind of like everything grows well here. We got lots of water in the wintertime and, you know, rose, roses grow really tall All here too. If you too. don't, if you don't tip them back, some of my, some of my roses will be six feet tall. Oh, wow. So you know, when, we're, when we take, when we cut blooms and or deadhead, we, cut them back down to keep them a manageable size. Here. Yeah. Is there a wrong way to prune a rose? Like I know there's a lot of theories. I was kind of taught to prune it. What is it like right above two sets of leaves where you can kind of see a little bud coming up? Yeah. So when you have a, a leaf set with five leaves, that's it. Typically, typically there's a bud down at the base of that. Mm -hmm. And the, and that will, when you cut close to that, it will send out a new shoot and produce another bloom. And that's just the genetics of a rose. Um, the wrong way to prune a rose. I mean, I, I hate to say there's a wrong way. Um, you know, I think people that don't cut back enough and just kind of tip back the tops all the time, you keep getting these, um, these shoots coming out of that. And it, my team calls it chicken feet. Mm. So you might have a stem with a bunch of little cuttings on the end of it. And I think it's better to just go ahead and cut that back. Don't kind of don't be too nice. I love um, that. Yeah, yeah. Y your roses need to be pruned, so it's just important. 
um, yeah, pruned and fertilized, you know, and that, that creates a healthy plant. And once you have a healthy plant like that, that's getting good food and is, is growing healthy, they're way more likely to fight off pests and disease and other problems. It's when your rose is underfed and not cared for early in the spring that you get problems and pests go, oh, a weak plant. Let's mm-hmm. chomp on that. So, um, I would love to get your take on what to do when there are pest issues. I know like thrips are sort of a thing uh, that we get plagued by um, and aphids and a little bit of powdery mildew. But I'd be curious kind of your thoughts on that in terms of prevention. It sounds like the prevention, like you mentioned, is fertilizing, you know, take care of it, prune it hard. But if you do get these pests, is there anything you recommend from an organic perspective that can really help? Yeah, from an organic perspective, there's one more simple thing to do. Literally take a a hose with a spray head and hose your plant off uh, several times a week. What that does is like if it's got aphids, those aphids will get knocked off and they'll die just from the water hitting them. Mm -hmm. The Powdery mildew and other things will just kind of get cleaned off. Yeah and get those spores off your plant. And that does a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, and we're actually just introducing this, is we have a new spray and it's organic. It's a peppermint oil spray. Oh, yeah. So it's very, very simple. And I really like simple. Uh, simple is always better in my opinion. Totally. And so uh, we, we've been doing a lot of studies at the nursery and we have actually, we put roses out in where there were deer and we were treating them and watching them with game cameras and stuff. And what we've learned is that deer hate peppermint and they'll stay away from it. So the peppermint oil is fights off a lot of bugs and, and pests because of the smell and the deer don't like it. So things that want to eat your roses don't like peppermint. And we say, hey, it works really well to spray your roses with this. And it's not overwhelming. It's fish fertilizer stinks. <laughs> I, you get used to it. But, yeah. the, but the, the peppermint oil is great. So that's, that's uh, what we would say is, is treat it with a peppermint oil spray. And uh, I love that. I think that's brilliant. I use peppermint in the garden a ton. I just had my corn ravaged by either ground squirrels or raccoons. We're thinking maybe even potentially rats, which also hate peppermint. So I'm like right there with you on the peppermint. I was, I was, I usually put little diffusers out like in the beds that I make with baby food containers. I just like poke a hole and put a little wick in it, like, you know, just cheap input oil and put it out there and it's great. But I was lazy this year because I had like a newborn one spring hit. And so I was like, well, we'll risk it. Yeah. Well, that's the seasons of life, right? right. You kind of learn and go and yeah. That's so true. That's good. Okay. So um, one question that I ask everybody, I know I gave you a little warning. Um, Curious if you recall, if you have a favorite gardening book, um, about any type of gardening, rose-specific gardening, the business of gardening, I would love to hear any recommendations. I wish I could go. <laughs> I wish I could go get that book. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to send it to me later. I will request that. I will. I will. I'll follow up with that. Um, I don't know the author's name, uh, so but I have a book, and it's published. it was published in the 70s, and I have a reprint from the 80s that my mom gave me and wrote a nice note in the front of it. Mm. And it's basically one of the things I like about that book is he talks about wide row gardening. And don't just do this plant everything in a line with a string, but plant in wider rows that plants plants naturally grow and companion crop together. So if you're growing lettuce, grow radishes with your lettuce. 
mix some things in together. That's the way things are meant to be grown. And so I really like this concept of a wide row garden. Mm. And so when my wife and I garden, we typically have, we either have raised beds that are about two feet wide and we mix things in. We don't ever just have one, one type of plant together, mm-hmm. or we'll have a long row of about two feet wide. And sometimes we'll plant lettuce under the corn yeah. because it shades it. And there's just, there's just things like that that come about. And this was written by someone who, you know, he, he grew, um, grew produce for a living and he just learned from the, what worked and what didn't work. And was it Dwight Newcomb? It, it wasn't Dwight Newcomb. Okay. I love him. Yeah. He's like one of my faves and he does a lot about like sort of, you know, intensive gardening postage yeah. stamp gardening, that kind of thing. Yeah, because you can do a lot in a small space. Totally. And roses even too. Like you might say, well, I'll have a balcony. Well, roses will do great in a container. So if you have a nice size container that is, you know, maybe 20 gallons, maybe even a, even a seven gallon bucket mm. with holes at the bottom, you can grow a rose in it and it'll do well. Do you guys have specific varieties that are meant for that for small like containers? We, we have roses that will maybe... Like they'll all grow in there, but maybe we have some varieties that we say they're a little more compact and they won't overwhelm your patio. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they'll stay a little, they'll stay a little more. Their structure is, is good for growing in a container. And we, we have a category for those on our website. Okay. So you can, you can look through all the ones there and fall in love with them. And I love that. They're great. When do you guys yeah. um, send out your catalog? We typically send out the catalog in the middle of winter. Uh, we were talking about that the other day. When's the best time? Yeah. So there is, I mean, there's catalog, like. I go back to my mom and she would save all of her seed catalogs and look at them the on Christmas Eve. She'd start looking at her seed catalog and planning the next I year. I love so, her. I want to hang out with your mom. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, that's good. It's good to have all that stuff coming because in the, in the, in the, well, you're in Southern California, but in the, in the rainy days of Oregon, looking through seed catalogs and things is always fun and good. So it, it will come out in the winter. Uh, we do ship all year round. So we ship 12 months out of the year. Oh, great. And a good time and a really good time is actually to plant roses in the fall because the, the, if you get them in the ground, they'll start to grow, they'll go dormant, but they're actually going to wake up and start growing way before you want to get out in the yard and start working. Mm. You know, in a, in a 60 degree day where it's a little rainy, your roses will start growing uh, and doing well. And then you have a jump start on spring that way. I love that so much. Yeah. I was um, looking at your website and thinking about that for fall too, because I think that's brilliant. It is really good time to get roses in the ground and um, just give everything sort of a, a refresh. And, oh, I love it. You guys have the most beautiful roses and it's such a treat to get to dream and, and peruse the site and the catalog and all that. Um, where can everybody find you that wants to snag some roses and get to know you guys better? Yeah. So we're at heirloomroses.com. And uh, you'll see we have 800 varieties. We have good search features to kind of help you whittle that down. Yeah, I love that. But quite frankly, you're going to want to spend a lot of time just looking at all of our at our website. It's beautiful. There's lots of beautiful roses to look at. Build a wish list. Just dream and uh, and don't be afraid to get started. You know, it's it's easy to start. You can you can you can start small and kind of just see how it goes and don't be overwhelmed. Uh, we try to keep it very simple. I love that. I love I love your simplicity is best. I'm with you on that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so fantastic. You have so much wisdom around the subject and I, I'm excited. Hopefully we've inspired some people to really, roses can be intimidating. And I feel like you've, you've sort of 
you've debunked that. Thank you very much. Awesome. We'll talk, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.